Good evening. I'd like to once again welcome everyone here for the evening worship here for our gospel meeting. And good that you can come out and spend some time with us. So if you're visiting with us, you are extremely glad to see you. I hope you stick around for a while and let us get to talk to you a little bit. But my duty tonight is to introduce our speaker of the night. He's pretty well known in the neighborhood and the area. He's, of course, he is our minister here, Brother Mike Hickson. Uh, I think Henry remembers it about three, three and a half years ago, we were in search for a preacher, and we got a phone call, and that followed up. That was the best decision we ever made, I think. So Mike has been here serving, serving well here. He, we work as the eldership. He works great with the eldership. He's never done it, not done anything we have asked him to do. He's always ready, ready to do what, what he can. Uh, his qualifications are exemplified by his delivery of the sermon here at the pulpit. So I can't really go into his qualifications. You can see that if you haven't heard him, heard him already. Uh, each each time I hear him, I say, you know, this is the best sermon I've ever heard. Until the next time, Mike Kickson. Well, you can see I pay the elders well. <laughs> I appreciate what Brother George had to say, and it is a privilege for me to be a part of the of the work of the church here. I'm very grateful for the opportunity that we have to work together. I believed then and I believe now that the congregation here is sitting on a gold mine. And it's my conviction that much and everlasting good can be done by all of us. And there have been a lot of great people associated with this church down through the down through the years and there have been a lot of a lot of efforts that have gone in to making this church what it is today. And we appreciate all of, of those who have gone on before us and those who have labored, labored so effectively. And some are now in eternity. But we are grateful to God for them. And we're grateful that you're here tonight. We are thankful that you made the decision to come and to be a part of our gospel meeting. It is somewhat of an unusual situation in the sense that I am the regular preacher here and that I'm holding the meeting. But as I've said each time, I am humbled by the opportunity to stand in this pulpit, to preach, to teach, to share or impart lessons from God's Word, and it's my prayer that the things that are said are helpful to you, will be an encouragement to you. And I appreciate those of you who are here tonight, those of you who are visiting from sister congregations. I appreciate Bob being with us tonight. Bob has been here every day of our gospel meeting. And he and I, we came to be associated with one another through a funeral. And we're very glad that he's been able to be present with us every night. We appreciate the prayer that Brother Ray Peters led just a moment ago and the singing that we've had and the opportunity to worship God in song. We're going to be talking tonight about Jesus, the foundation for life. And I want to suggest tonight that if Jesus is not the foundation of your life, you do not have a life. 
Jesus said in John chapter 10 at verse 10, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The Lord wants us to enjoy the benefits and the blessings of redemption. And ultimately, we have to decide whether or not we will follow him, whether or not we will make him the foundation, the bedrock of our life here upon this earth. I want to call your attention to a passage. It may be somewhat of an unusual passage in light of this theme, but I want us to look together at Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, a very familiar passage of Scripture, but one that I think emphasizes this great truth about Jesus being the foundation for life. The first thing that I want to share with you, and as we, as we look at this lesson text, I want you to consider with me the life of the Apostle Paul, because I believe that the Apostle Paul made Jesus the foundation of his life. And when you look at his life, you see that the Lord Jesus meant everything to him. And ultimately, if we are going to be pleasing in his sight, then the Lord must be everything to us. But as we look at verses 21 through 23, the first thing I call your attention to is Paul's life in Christ. When we emphasize Paul's life in Christ, what I would encourage you to remember is that the Apostle Paul made Jesus the Lord of his life. And you'll see that more in just a moment. But Paul made Jesus the Lord of his life. Now we talk about Paul's life in Christ. And in verse 21 he said, For to me to live is Christ. And there are two things that I would call your attention to with regard to this point. First of all, I want to take you back to his conversion to Christ. Bear in mind that the Apostle Paul was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. Saul set forth his pedigree in chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. He talked about how he was from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said he had been circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He pointed out that concerning the law, he was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, he persecuted the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. You go back and you look at the book of Acts, and you would be hard-pressed to find someone more zealous in persecuting the church of our Lord than Saul of Tarsus. Luke tells us that Saul made havoc. He wrecked the church. As a matter of fact, when he ultimately came in contact with Jesus... He was on the road to find those who were followers of the way so that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul of Tarsus, as you well know, sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a very educated man. Some would say that by our standards today, he would have acquired a Ph.D. degree. He was a very knowledgeable individual, well-schooled in Judaism. And so Saul of Tarsus believed that what he was doing was absolutely right. Now, in Acts chapter 9, we find Jesus appeared to him and asked a very penetrating question. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, over in chapter 22, Saul 
We know him by Paul at this point in time in history. Paul recounts his conversion story. And he said that when Ananias came to him, he made this request. He said, Saul, Saul, he said, here's what you need to do. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And he said, why do you tarry? Arise. In other words, this is what you need to do, and you need to do it immediately. So Saul of Tarsus was baptized into Jesus Christ. In being baptized into Jesus Christ, he came in contact with the precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus. We pointed out in earlier studies that Jesus shed his blood in death, John 19, verse 34. The means by which we appropriate the blood of Christ is by being baptized into Christ. Our baptism is preceded by faith in Jesus. Saul of Tarsus believed, came to believe in Jesus of Nazareth. He came to believe in the deity of Jesus. The fact that Jesus was a member of the second, well, he was a member of the Godhead, the second member of the Godhead. Saul of Tarsus, later Paul, preached this great man that he came to believe in. Saul repented of his sins. He no doubt confessed the good name of Christ and then, as set forth here, he was instructed to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. In so doing, the Lord then added him to the body of Jesus Christ. That is, he was added to the church, to the ecclesia, the community of the saved. The the saved are in the church. The church is composed of saved people. Every person who is in Christ Jesus is in the church. Every person who is in the church is in Christ. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 10 that salvation is in Christ Jesus. And so when we are in Christ, we are in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13, Paul would say by one spirit were you all baptized into one body. So we're placed in that divine body. So we talk about his conversion to Christ. But I want you to see something in our lesson text. We talk about his conversion to Christ, but note, if you would, his captivation for Christ. Listen again to what Paul said in verse 21. For to me to live is Christ. I want to introduce you to somebody, and that being Paul, Saul of Tarsus. I want you to see somebody who was absolutely consumed with Jesus Christ. I went back today and counted the references in chapter 1 that the Apostle Paul makes to the Lord Jesus Christ. I counted some 19 references to Jesus Christ in this one chapter alone. If you want to talk about somebody who absolutely saturated his life with Jesus Christ, that person was the Apostle Paul. Jesus Christ meant everything to him. Listen again to what he said. For to me to live is Christ. The Lord meant everything to the Apostle Paul. Now we talk about being baptized into Christ and rising to walk in newness of life. Look at the life of Saul of Tarsus. You remember when he wrote to Timothy? He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul was simply saying this. 
If you want to know who is the chief of sinners, if you want to see somebody who is at the very top of the list, then put my name there. And I think based on the grace and the mercy of Almighty God and the blessings that he enjoyed from salvation, Paul was absolutely 110% captivated for the cause of Christ. And that's why Paul, in a very unselfish way, could literally empty himself for service in the kingdom of God. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. He said, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves as his servants for your sake. Paul went about preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and one of the reasons I believe he did that was because he understood that there was a sense of indebtedness on his part, as he said to the Romans. And he wanted to do everything he could to bring other people in contact with Jesus. So Paul immersed himself in Christ. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you and I are baptized into Christ, it does not matter what our past has been. Every sin is washed away, is blotted out, is remitted. We are free from sin and the wages of sin. You just stop and think about the covenant under which you and I live. What a glorious covenant it is. In contrast to the law of Moses, where there was a remembrance made of sin every year. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. You and I can go to bed every night, and we can bask in the fact that the availing blood of Jesus is constantly working on our behalf, just, just like it was in the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul was, as I said a moment ago, captivated for the Lord. Now if you look over in chapter 3, after Paul sets forth his pedigree, and he talks about his Jewish roots, he said, I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Did you catch that? The apostle Paul spoke of Jesus Christ and he said, he is my Lord. When we talk about somebody being our Lord, we are, we are emphasizing the fact that they are our master, that they are our ruler, that they are the ones, that they are the one who is reigning over us. Now, Paul said of Jesus that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is the king over his kingdom. As the king, he has all authority, and he is the one who delegates unto us what to do. We are simply subjects in his kingdom. The Apostle Paul viewed the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord. Now we talk about being captivated for the cause of Christ. And you, and you look at the life of Paul. And it's almost as if every sentence is dripping with the words of Christ. It might very well be the case that one of the reasons the church is not advancing as rapidly today as it did 2,000 years ago is because we haven't been captiva captivated for Christ like the Apostle Paul. 
We sing the song, He is my everything. Is He really our everything? We sing the song, All to Jesus I surrender. I surrender all. Have we truly surrendered all for the cause of Christ? Listen to what Jesus said. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. To be captivated or captured for Christ. So we talk about Paul's life in Christ. But I want you to think with me in the second place of Paul's life for Christ. This has to do with his labors. You would be hard-pressed to find an individual more zealous and more earnest in his desire to make known the gospel of Jesus than the Apostle Paul. I stand amazed at his zeal and his activities. Just unbelievable. Well, what about, what about Paul's labors for Christ? What about his life for Christ? Listen to him in verse 22. He said, if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. There are some things that I want you to see in relationship to this point. First of all, I want you to think about his chains in Christ. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he was in, he was in jail. He was in a Roman prison. We talk about the prison epistles. Note, if you would, what he says in verse 7. He talks about his chains. Drop down and look at verse 13. Again, he makes reference to his chains in Christ. In verse 14, again, he talks about his chains. When Paul wrote to Timothy, and Timothy was his own son in the faith, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 9, he said, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. Now, if you look at the, if you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, one of the things you have to appreciate is the fact that, that chains and imprisonment were, were, were something that he was familiar with. Th this isn't some isolated case. If you go back to for example, Acts chapter 16. And you read about Paul and Silas in the city of Philippi. And we talk about the church in Philippi and the birth of that church. Paul and Silas were imprisoned. Their feet were made fast in stocks. So here was a guy that was well acquainted with imprisonment. He was well acquainted with chains. His chains were for the cause of Christ. He had been imprisoned because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes that apparent in verse 13. But as we think about his chains in Christ, I want you to consider with me, if you would, his consecration to Christ. When we talk about the consecration of the Apostle Paul, let's go back and think for a moment about his chains in Christ. When he wrote to Timothy, and he would have written to Timothy about A.D. 61 or 62, I think it would have been somewhere around the same time. 
He said, I, I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But listen to him. But the word of God is not chained. Imagine those Roman soldiers being chained to the Apostle Paul in 24-hour shifts, and they rotated those shifts on a 24-hour basis, rather. Maybe they rotated those shifts four hours, six hours, whatever the intervals may have been. But can you imagine having been chained to the Apostle Paul? What do you think Paul talked about when he was chained to those Roman officials, those Roman guards? You think he talked about the weather? You think he talked about the Olympics? I don't know what Paul talked about in detail, but I can, I can just imagine that one of the things the Apostle Paul did talk about, and he, he talked about it until he was blue in the face, was Jesus his Lord. I suspect that when those guards were relieved of duty and another guy came on, the Apostle Paul was looking at that new person coming on, on deck, and he's thinking, Fresh meat. Somebody else to teach. Somebody else to preach to. Years ago when the Vietnam War was raging, I remember hearing veterans of that war say that when the planes came in bringing new soldiers in, they would talk about, here comes fresh meat. Well, when you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, when they rotated those guards, I'm telling you what, there was fresh meat coming in. And the Apostle Paul was going to sit down and talk to those people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, you may have chained his feet, you may have chained his hands, but you were not going to chain his mouth. You were not going to muzzle the mouth of the Apostle Paul. You remember when Peter and John were commanded not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus Christ? And they said in the long ago, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That is conviction. That's consecration to the cause of Christ. We talk about wanting the church to grow and abound, to be what the Lord would have it to be. It's going to take those of us who belong to the body of Christ being convicted and consecrated, looking for opportunities to serve, to talk to others about Jesus. Model your life after the Apostle Paul. We talk about walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Every person I see Jesus coming in contact with, I see the Lord trying to make a difference in their life. You and I can make a difference in the lives of people. And we're really not concerned about making a difference in the lives of people politically or socially. What we want to do is make a difference in the lives of people spiritually. Because listen, please listen very carefully. The only thing that's going to save our nation, we talk about the problems that are so prevalent in our nation tonight. I'm grateful for the system of government that we have in place, as flawed as it may be in some areas. As imperfect a system as it may be, I'm still grateful for it. I'm thankful that we live in a free nation, that we enjoy the blessings and opportunities to come together on occasions like this and study and worship and talk about the Lord publicly. But listen, the Republican Party is not the answer to the ills of our nation. The Democratic Party is not the answer to the ills of our nation. But I can tell you what is. 
The same message that the Apostle Paul preached 2,000 years ago is the same message that will change our nation for good. When the Apostle Paul and Silas went to the city of Thessalonica, they were charged with turning the world upside down. The world today is upside down in sin, and what we need to do is turn it upside down for the Lord. But it's going to take those of us, young and old, black and white, rich or poor, whatever the case may be, we've got to take the gospel to heart. We've got to have some some conviction. We have to have a sense of consecration to the cause of Christ. Look again at at the life of Paul. The apostle Paul talked about Jesus as his Lord. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, what do you think the Lord would have you to do? Here is a world lost and dying in sin. Here are people in a community that we call Olive Branch, lost and dying in sin. Here are neighbors lost and dying in sin. Here are people that we go to school with, that we work with, they're lost and dying in sin. What are we going to do? We've got to tell them about Jesus. Just like Paul. 24-7. I think the Apostle Paul was one of the most tireless workers in God's kingdom. Sometimes we talk about burning the candle at both ends. I don't think the Lord will hold it against us if we do that. Do you? I don't think he minds. I think he wants us to expend our energy on his behalf. I said a moment ago that when you look at the life of Paul, you see someone who was saturated. He saturated his life with Jesus. If you look at his life, Christianity wasn't just a piece of his life. It was the entirety of his life. It was the the whole of his life. It was the, the very fabric of his life. Without Jesus, Paul would have been nothing. And so what I'm trying to do is say that as members of the body of Christ, we have to develop this same spirit of consecration. We've got to become consecrated to the cause of Christ, just like Paul. Why? Because Jesus was the foundation of his life. I said a moment ago, if Jesus isn't the foundation of your life, you don't have a life. Paul had that foundation and he wanted other people to enjoy that same foundation, that same hope. So we talk about his chains, his consecration. But also note, if you would, his contentment in Christ. Over in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul makes mention of those whose names are in the book of life. That is, that heavenly register, wherein the redeemed of all ages are recorded. But think again about the setting. Paul is writing from a prison. He's writing from a prison cell. I don't know what, what kind of atmosphere he was in. I I can't imagine it being that pleasant. But listen, if you would, to what Paul said to the saints in Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How could Paul say to rejoice in the Lord? Paul's in prison. Was he hungry? Was he thirsty? Did he like proper clothing? Did he have wounds on his body that needed attending to? What what kind of atmosphere was Paul living in? And yet here's Paul writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's telling these brethren, look, you rejoice in the Lord. 
Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. I think one of the things that Paul understood was, look, I may be in prison, but the Lord is standing by me. Paul understood that the Lord Jesus Christ does not abandon his people. And so he could say, in nothing be anxious. But in everything, with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace that passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul enjoyed the peace that passed all understanding. He understood that the anxieties and the trials and the tribulations of life could be taken before the throne of God and find help. And so down a couple of verses later, Paul would say, I have learned in whatever state I am therein to be content. Look at how many people in our world today are looking for contentment. And what they're saying in many, in many circles is this. Contentment is based on my outward external circumstances in life. There are a lot of people that they're not content because they don't have a new car. They don't have a lot of money. They don't have a bigger home, etc. They don't have this or they don't have that. The key to contentment is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6 when Paul said godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. Contentment is a state of mind. It is a learned response. Here is Paul writing from a prison cell. His conditions may not have been that favorable, but he's telling these brethren, look, you rejoice in the Lord. Look, I've learned in whatever state I'm in, I'm content. I've learned how to be abased. I've learned how to abound. I've learned contentment whether I'm hungry or whether I'm full. And so, his contentment in Christ Jesus. We talk about his life for the Lord. Paul had a lot of highs and lows. He no doubt experienced some peaks and valleys in life, but he stayed the course. And then note, if you would, his confidence in Christ. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In verse 19 of chapter 4, he would say, But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Did you know what he said there? But my God. We talk about, in chapter 3, Paul making reference to Christ Jesus, my Lord. In chapter 4, verse 19, he's talking about my God. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, they were very personal beings to the Apostle Paul. Not some vague, abstract being, but rather a very personal relationship, an intimate relationship. That's why Paul was so captivated. He was so captured for the Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about the fact that Paul had confidence in the Lord to the extent that he could say, look, God will supply all of my needs. Look at Paul. You want a case study of somebody who had every need met in Jesus Christ. We talk about somebody who was willing to run the gamut for the cause of Christ. Why? Because Paul experienced pardon in Jesus Christ. He knew what pardon was all about. He wrote to the, to the Ephesians and he said, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Paul knew what it meant to be redeemed by the blood of Christ, to enjoy pardon full and free. Paul knew about peace 
Philippians chapter 4, he just talked about the peace which passes all understanding. Let me tell you what, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't know peace. You don't have peace. You may think you do, but you really don't. When Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he said, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. To know that we are at peace with our maker. That we have a conciliatory relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. That he is our link. To know that we have the privilege of prayer. You ever thought about how much Paul prayed? Read his epistles. Note the references that that Paul makes to prayer. He talks about how he made mention of congregations of God's people, of individuals. He made mention of those people regularly in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 25, he would say to the saints in Thessalonica, Brethren, pray for us. The apostle Paul believed in the power of prayer. When Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3, verse 12, he said, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. God hears the prayers of his people. James said, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I believe that the Apostle Paul believed in the power of prayer. In Hebrews chapter 4, the Hebrew writer would say, Let us therefore draw boldly unto the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Think about all of the needs that Paul had in this life. Think of some of the difficult situations he found himself in, and yet he is writing to brethren. And rather than them encouraging him to some extent, he's encouraging them. And he's telling them, my God shall supply all your need. All of your needs in Christ Jesus. Paul knew what it meant to bow in the presence of God and lay his request at his throne. What a great privilege. Paul understood the presence of God in his life. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. What shall man do unto me? I think Paul believed the Lord was at his side day in and day out. Let me tell you what, that's confidence for life. You want to talk about a foundation for life, to know that Jesus is at your side, that the Lord Jesus is well aware of what you're facing in this life. To know that we have a God who says the very hairs of our head are numbered. To know that we have a God who said in the long ago that a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without our our Father knowing about it. That's the kind of Lord we serve. So we talk about Paul's life in Christ, his life for Christ, but then thirdly, his life with Christ. Go back now and look at verse 21 again. Paul would say, for to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Here's Paul's longing. He said, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul was caught up in what we would say is a dilemma here. He really wanted to go be with the Lord, but he understood that to stay would be beneficial to these people, to these brethren. But if you were to have had the opportunity to just sit down and candidly ask Paul, Paul, what do you really want? I think what Paul would say is, I want to go to heaven. I want to go be with the Lord. 
two things I want to share with you here. First of all, Paul's heart was in heaven. You remember the old phrase, home is where the heart is? Paul's heart was in heaven. Listen again. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Verse 23, to depart and be with Christ is far better. In this same book in chapter 3, Paul talks about some who mind earthly things. But he said, our citizenship, our commonwealth is in heaven. Whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul recognized that heaven is the home of the soul. That's where his heart was. I think Paul thought about heaven probably every day. He longed for heaven. When he wrote to the saints in Colossae, he could say, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, set your affection on things above, and not on things which are upon this earth. Paul said, seek those things above. Paul had a, had a heart for heaven. But not only was his heart in heaven, but he understood his home was in heaven. Again, Paul said, to live as Christ, to die as gain, to depart and be with Christ is far better. In 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5, I think some of the most beautiful statements made by the hand of Paul. He talked about our light affliction, which is but for a moment. He said, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. In chapter 5, verse 1, he said, For we know that if the earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul understood that to die to lay aside this earthly body meant to go home and be with the Lord. Paul's longing was to go home and be with God. I said a moment ago his heart was in heaven, but he understood his home was in heaven. He understood that the Lord Jesus Christ had gone to prepare an eternal abiding place for his people. And so when Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I want you to think about it. Paul now is coming to the end of his physical sojourn here upon this earth. He understands death is imminent. And let me tell you, there's going to come a day and time when for, for those of us who are a part of the human family, death will be imminent. I got a call today about my aunt who is 90 years of age. Her health has been deteriorating for quite some time now. She had a massive heart attack on Friday. The doctors have said that there's nothing more they can do for her. I don't know how much longer she's going to be on planet Earth, but I know this. If the Lord delays his coming, it won't be long until she'll step out into eternity. The Hebrew writer said, It is appointed unto man once to die after this cometh the judgment. Death is a reality. If you don't believe me, pick up the newspaper. Open the newspaper to the obituary section. And you will read about people that are older than you and people that are younger than you that have stepped out into eternity.
Death is a reality. But Paul faced death like a champion. He said, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm already being offered. Paul could say, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me in that day. Let me tell you what, Paul was homesick for heaven. He was homesick to go home and be with the Lord. It wouldn't be long till Nero Caesar would lop his head off, literally speaking. That inward spirit of Paul would be set free. That body would be placed in a cemetery, in a grave. But that spirit would go home to be with God. John would say in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yea, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Could I just say this to you? If Jesus is the foundation for your life, you do not fear death. It may be the case that you welcome death. Because you understand that at death you go home to be with the Lord. You are at rest from your labors. When Jesus is the foundation of your life, you can face death with confidence. You can face death like a champion. You can know that you're going home to be with God and you will spend eternity with Him forevermore. I want to close by asking this question. Who or what is the foundation of your life? If Jesus isn't the foundation of your life, I would encourage you to give strong consideration to making Jesus the bedrock of your life. Make him the king of your life. Make him an integral part of your family. There are so many homes in our country tonight that are struggling. There are homes in distress. There are homes that are disintegrating all across this great nation. I am firmly convinced that we could rectify a lot of the ills and a lot of, a lot of the problems in our society, in our nation tonight, if we could just get people to look to Jesus, to make him the foundation, the cornerstone, the bedrock of their life. Is he the bedrock? Is he the foundation of your life? If he's not, you're in trouble with eternity looming before you. I don't know any other way to say it. If you haven't made Jesus the king of your life, if he is not the Lord of lords in your life, if he's not number one in your life, you're in trouble. And let me tell you what, you can't afford to die. To step out into eternity unprepared. A thousand million years from now, you'll think about all the gospel sermons that you heard. Every time you think about them, you'll only wish you had obeyed. Why not tonight come in simple, trusting faith? Come to the Lord Jesus Christ Put him on in baptism. Be baptized into Christ. Rise to walk in newness of life. Be a member of the Lord's church. 
live faithfully until death with the assurance that God will bestow, bequeath on you the crown of life. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, maybe, maybe Jesus hasn't been the foundation of your life. Why not come to your spiritual senses? Why not come back home? We want you to go to heaven. We want to go to heaven. And our goal is to take as many people with us as humanly possible. I think while Paul was alive, Paul was trying to round up as many people as possible to take with him to heaven. I have no doubt there will be many, many people in heaven because of the efforts of the Apostle Paul. So tonight we plead with you, make a decision that will have, well, make a decision tonight that will be the best decision you've ever made. Come to Christ as we stand and sing.